Well, grace and peace to you this morning. We are going to continue in our Advent series this second Sunday. Pastor Jones began this series last Sunday with the wondrous fullness of our Lord and Savior. This morning we are looking at Isaiah chapter 52 and we're going to see the pursuit of our Lord. Would you please turn there? Little theologians, uh, if your parents permit, would you draw a picture of a possession, a thing that you own that you would never want to lose, that you would go to great lengths to pursue and to find if it were lost? I want you to draw that and think about that as we think about this passage, because this passage is about the God of the universe who at great lengths pursues his people, pursues those who are lost so that they would be found. Let's hear God's word. Let's hear his love for us in Isaiah 52, beginning in verse six. Therefore my people shall know my name. Therefore in that day they shall know that it is I who speak. Here I am. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice. Together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. They break forth into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. For the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations. And all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Depart. Depart. Go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her. Purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord. For you shall not go out in haste, and you shall not go out in flight, for the Lord will go before you, and the God of Israel will be your rear guard. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred. Beyond human semblance, and his form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. For that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we come before you this morning and before your word asking that you would give us ears to hear it and Lord, lives that would grow under it to be more like you. Would you lead us during this time for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a number of years ago, uh, the Bennett family was attending a general assembly of the PCA. If you're not familiar with that, a general assembly is is uh, the highest court of our denomination, but it's like a large conference. Uh, 1,500 people, I think, were there at that time, and 
Uh, it's in a hotel conference center filled with rooms and people everywhere. And in one absent-minded moment, my wife and I turned to each other and we said the same phrase thinking that we said the opposite thing to each other. We turned and we said, you've got Micah, our two-year-old son at the time. But we thought we said, I've got Micah. But we turned and we walked in opposite directions, leaving our two-year-old son in the middle of a huge crowd. You can imagine the panic and the terror that ensued when both of us realized that we had no idea where our son was. The panic led to a pursuit that was unrelentless. It was zealous. It was trying to find him everywhere. And you can imagine our joy. You can imagine uh, how much relief we experienced when we heard over the loudspeakers this statement. Can the parents of the two-year-old who's standing eating M&Ms at the MTW booth please come pick up their son? It's like the weight of the world just lifted from our shoulders. Someone pursued us with the good news that our lost son had been found. Well, our passage here in Isaiah 52, it's a passage in which the Lord is pursuing his people with good news. But unlike Rebecca and I, the Israelites at this time in Isaiah's day did not want to hear good news from the Lord. If we were to back up to verse 5, which sets a little bit of a context, we're told that God's people were despising the Lord's name. They were living in a way that they had rebelled and rejected the Lord. They were a fractured people. They had gone after their own way. They pursued their own ends. They had made him look ridiculously weak and insignificant in the eyes of the other nations. They had become lost. And yet here in verse 6, in our opening verse, here he is. Here is the Lord. He has come and he brings good news to people who've despised him. For even though Isaiah describes the Lord much earlier, if you remember Isaiah chapter 6, if you remember, Isaiah saw the Lord seated on the throne. He describes him as high and lifted up. And Jesus will describe himself in John 12 as lifted up. Even though he describes the Lord in that awesome way, he will be bruised and battered beyond human recognition. But then he will take the blood that he has shed and he will sprinkle it upon the peoples. For only by the shedding of blood can there be forgiveness of sin and true redemption. This is the wonderful news we celebrate in Advent. It's the arrival of the Lord to do just this. 700 years after Isaiah's prophecy, the Lord would come, born of a virgin. And Jesus came, he, he came to pursue his people. Remember what he tells us, his mission to seek and to save the lost. You will remember that when he talks, 
He speaks of his work as a pursuit of seeking after lost items, like a lost sheep, or a lost coin, or a lost son. His work is that of a redeemer, finding that which is lost and restoring it. This is who he's been since the beginning, since Adam and Eve first sinned against him. Do you remember the question in Genesis 3? He asked, where are you? He knew where they were. He was pursuing them. This is what the Lord does. He is a pursuer. He pursues those he loves. And in this passage in Isaiah, as he's pursuing his people, we see three responses that his people will have. We're going to see that because he pursues you, you will sing. And you will depart. And you will follow. Let's look at that first one. Because the Lord pursues you, you will sing. In verse 7, the Lord makes a promise to his people. He tells them good news is coming. The good news is this word we translate as gospel. But it's actually better translated as victorious news. A news that's used in battle for when a conquering king sends news back to his people. That the victory has been won. All of the enemies have been defeated victorious news has arrived. This is what he's sending, victorious news to his people. And and that news brings peace in verse 7. Note, it needs peace, which means shalom, a, a restored creation. He brings happiness, which is glad tidings or joy. And he ultimately brings salvation. And in the the midst of all of that, at the very end of seven, the messenger says to Zion, your God reigns. Notice how God phrases this. He doesn't say, he reigns. He reminds the people that even though they've despised him, they belong to him. Your God reigns. I have bound myself to you. My reign, my victory is my people's victory. And in hearing about this reign, the love of their God in verse 8, this news, this good news is what the faithful have been waiting for. Read with me, look with me in verse 8. The voice of your watchmen, they lift up their voice, together they sing for joy, for eye to eye they see the return of the Lord to Zion. Uh, the message of this victorious news, it's, it's that all the enemies have def- been defeated. And now in the advent of Jesus, the coming of our Savior in his incarnation, the greatest of enemies, sin and death will be destroyed forever for his people. The faithful watchers react with singing. Their hope is in the victorious king and their emotive response to that truth is to sing. It's an act that reflects the deep core belief of who they are and where their hope relies. It's kind of like this. When we receive joyful news, we can't help but singing. I have a brother When he's in a good mood, he can't stop but hum. He just is a hummer all day long to the point that sometimes it's even annoying because he doesn't even realize he's humming when he's in a good mood. But it's a reflection of his heart. It's when joy sees our heart, we sing. 
And the Lord wants you to experience his joy, the joy of his coming, the joy of his redemption, the joy of his salvation. But there are moments that we realize that we don't experience that joy. We need what verse 9 tells us. Verse 9 is actually a command to sing. Break forth together into singing, you waste places of Jerusalem. It's a command to sing. It's a command to sing with God's people together. You see, Jerusalem is a picture of God's people. It's, it's the redeemed people that Jesus is seeking to restore And this is why we need our brothers and our sisters. This is why we gather together to sing. It's why we need musicians and leaders to lead us in singing. Because there are times when we feel the weight of the world upon us. When we feel like we're in a waste place or a wilderness. It's hard for us to sing. And we need the voices of others to lead us in singing. A good pastor friend of mine, he was a mentor He was married to a dear godly woman who was diagnosed with ALS, which is a terrible degenerative disease. For a decade, he watched his beloved deteriorate, and every night together, with the hope of the gospel inside of them, they would sing the doxology. But when she went home to be with the Lord, my pastor mentor friend said he couldn't sing the doxology anymore. The weight and grief that weighed on his heart made it so hard for him to sing. But he said, but I can still sing the doxology when I'm being led in it in the company of believers, of those who, who were encouraging in him and spurring him on to sing the praises of his king. Friends, this morning as we sing in this worship service, don't hold back the great joy that comes from the Lord. Sing to the Lord. It's a reflection of the victorious news that he's defeated all his enemies. Let's look at a second point now. Because the Lord pursues us, you will depart. If you look in verse 10, we'll see that the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations and all the ends of the earth shall, be, shall see the salvation of our God. So in this verse, again, we, we see a description of the Lord's pursuit. He's bared his holy arm for action. This is not him sitting on the sidelines. This is him like a warrior taking off his cloak, preparing for a fight. He's rolled up his sleeves. He's moving forward. Every nation to the ends of the earth will see the restoration of Jerusalem, see the work of his salvation. His work will leave an indelible mark throughout the world. And he tells us because of that work in verse 11, depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing, go out from the midst of her, purify yourselves, you who bear the vessels of the Lord, In this prophecy, the Lord may have been specifically talking about the work that he would be to restore Jerusalem after the Babylonian exile, to depart there, to return home. But notice in verse 9, he describes himself as this redeemer, that he sets captives free. Imagine being an Israelite, an ancient Israelite, 
who God has justly set into captivity, into exile. And you've defiantly rejected God's word, but even so, the Lord doesn't tell his people to leave Babylon in shame or in guilt. He actually tells them to leave their captivity in the most dignified way, in his holiness. That we would leave that which has captivated our hearts and pulled us from the Lord. The sin no longer defines us. Our enslavement to sin. He tells us, do not depart ultimately in your shame or hold on to your guilt. But depart your captivity as part of his restored royal priesthood as a possession that belongs to him. And in verse 12, because you belong to Jesus, when we leave and when we depart, we're not to fear for anything. He's our covering. He's the one who leads and goes before you. He's our rear guard who protects you. He doesn't call us to a hasty retreat. He doesn't call us to run fleeingly. He tells us to follow him as he leads us to his redeemed and restored Jerusalem. For those of you who feel particular anxiety today, maybe it's for many different reasons, maybe it's even for the holiday season, slow down in this verse. The Lord who has redeemed you is guiding you. He's protecting you. We depart looking to him. We depart the old patterns living as exiles. And we draw near to him. Because he has a home for us. He has a people that he desires us to be with. That's what we dwell on. That's what we look to when we're feeling the anxiety of holidays, stress, the anxiety of the disconnect and the brokenness of this world, the anxiety of pain and sin and death. We turn from the patterns and look to Jesus. He pursues us so that we would sing. He pursues us so that we would depart. And he pursues us so that we would follow These final verses, verses 13 through 15, they're a description of the cost of the Lord to pursue you. We're told that even though he's a king, he will become a servant. His pursuit for you will cost him dearly because he will become a servant. Let's read verses 13 and 14. Look look at these verses. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up, and he shall be exalted. As many were astonished by you, his appearance was so marred. Beyond human semblance, his form beyond that of the children of mankind. The coming of the servant will be in obedience to all of God's commands. He says he'll act wisely in God's wisdom. And we see this picture again, as we've mentioned, of being high and lifted up, exalted. This servant is the Lord Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man. And what starts in this passage of jubilation, it takes a stark turn here. 
Because Jesus is high and lifted up in the most excruciating way. He was lifted up upon a cross. He was again rejected by his people. And that's what Isaiah means here in verse 14. As many as were astonished at you. That word astonished isn't a positive word. That word means to be appalled or deserted, offended by. Many were offended by the arrival of the servant. The Lord is telling us that this one in whom salvation is coming will be shamefully rejected. In fact, he'll be so rejected that they will beat him, injure him. They will mar him beyond your ability to tell that he was a man. This is the wonder of the news of the gospel. The wondrous pursuit of the Lord that his marring of his own body would lead to the shedding of his blood which would enable him to sprinkle the nations clean, redeem them, restore them, to cover all those who look to him by faith for forgiveness of sins. Kings, the most powerful leaders in the world will be left speechless because of him. Verse 15, it says, For that which they have not been told, they see, they experience, they know. And that which they have not heard, they understand. This is a a verse that brings together the humiliation of the work of our Savior and the glory of the cross that will lead kings awestruck. So how do we respond? We respond by following our King. A king who deserves our full allegiance. To follow Jesus is to trust him so completely that nothing else in our lives matters in comparison to obeying. Not our own comforts. Not even our safety. Not our wills. John Stott put it this way. He says, when we look at the, at the work of Christ, the community, the new Jerusalem of Christ is the community of the cross. We've been defined by the work of Jesus on the cross. And he continues to say, our perspective and our behavior are now governed by the cross. All our relationships have been radically transformed by it. The cross is not just a badge to identify us, and the banner under which we march, it also has become the compass that gives us our bearings in a disoriented world. Here's the point. To follow Jesus means that we must consistently return to the wonder of his pursuit and love, his costly sacrifice for us. To follow Jesus is to believe him in his word, to obey him in his commands, and to live as a people who've been rescued and found in him alone. One of the ways we do this, we show our obedience to Jesus, is in celebrating the Lord's table, what we're going to do later this morning. This isn't just a recommendation of our Lord, it is the command of our king to come to this table. 
A command not to come in our guilt or in our shame, but to come in the knowledge and in the welcome of his pursuit, his love, his work on our behalf. Because of his pursuit, his victorious news, we sing, we depart, and we follow him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your pursuit of us. That while you were once sinners, Christ died for us. For how you brought us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of your beloved Son. Help us, regardless of our circumstances this morning, to sing joyfully to you. To continue to depart the patterns of sin and death that distract us from our joy in you. And Lord, help us to follow you, to trust in your unfailing love. Would you lead us as we continue to worship you? For we pray in Jesus' name, amen.